Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. A member of the industry syndicate. This is where success happens. Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Here's your host, Todd Duncan. Hey, it's Todd Duncan. Welcome back to the Where Success Happens podcast. Every time I do one of these, I have one desired outcome, and that is to give you ideas that will help you live your best life, to advance confidently in the direction of your dreams, and try every day to be your best. And as a result of that, unleash your potential, um, your happiness, your joy, and live life well. So every time we get together, I try to bring in people that really have a, an angle, a, you know, kind of a spirit, even an expertise, I could go so far as to say about kind of the life experiences. And I've met this wonderful, wonderful woman uh, who has just been an inspiration in my life that has influenced thousands of people through our sales mastery stage last year. She did a program called Fearless, and her name is Dr. Rebecca Heiss. And I wanted just to let her kind of start off the theme of what we're going to do here today. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for that kind introduction. I'm going to introduce myself slightly differently. Um, Hi, I'm Rebecca and I'm an addict. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) we can start right there. Yeah. We have to start right there. And, uh, you know, we, 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 um, we believe right now that in society, that there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different directions. And um, in the last seven days, I've gotten five texts from five different people who are asking me to help them understand addiction and mm-hmm. to understand what does it really look like to uh, to handle addiction. And I got to tell you, being the father of two two guys that lost their biological mom when they were way too young, 13 and 11, both of whom have um, had nine to 10 years or so of just really dealing with addiction. And me as a, as a dad, a, 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 you know, obviously their biological dad, but also uh, a husband to their non-biological mom because their biological mom died and working through what addiction actually is and, and working through um, boundaries and and uh, hard decisions and tough love and detachment and all these things. I, I'm just going to say um, I've got 10 years of roadkill trying to learn how to manage addiction. And uh, Rebecca's got a story and together as a doctor and me as a guy that's committed to your success, we want to entitle this Breaking Free. It may not mean that you have a negative addiction. It might be that you have a positive addiction, but addiction is addiction. And it's when behavior lines up in compulsivity and in impulsivity and that there's really uh, it's really hard to tame that. And and so we're just going to unpack this. So. Dr. Rebecca Heiss, welcome again. I love, love, love working with you. You have a, a passion for helping people win. And when you say, uh, I'm Rebecca and I'm an addict, take us take us somewhere yeah. right now that. Yeah, sure. Well, well, thank you again. And I'm, I'm so honored to be here with you. I think, you know, starting by having the conversation that we are all addicts. Now, there are different levels. There are different spectrums. Um, but we are all addicted to certain things. My phone? my uh, need for approval, codependency, uh, my, my need to be worthy. Oh my gosh, how do I prove myself? These are all you know, small forms of addiction. And I certainly have struggled uh, with my own addictions throughout life. I, I lost my, um, my stepbrother to a heroin addiction. So 
other end of the spectrum, uh, chemical addiction, chemical dependency, incredibly powerful stuff. And I think the one thing that, you know, we can all kind of align with every addiction is addictions are isolating. I think more than anything else, the opposite of addiction, and I, I wish I could claim that this was my own, it's, it's actually Johan Hari's, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I think so frequently that's where we we miss out the the healing process um, is that it's really about finding community, finding connection and and holding those safe boundaries for for all of us, those safe spaces to show up and be vulnerable and tell our stories without without fear of judgment, which is so at, so opposite of everything that our brains tell us to do. Like, no, 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 stay safe, stay isolated, stay alone, stay. Nobody can share this. We can't talk about it. It's really shameful. We bury it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a secret. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't share it. You'll get rejected. You'll get kicked out of the tribe. Nobody will love you. And that is the exact cycle that continues the isolation, the addiction that pushes it further. I remember um, a conversation that I had in, in 2004 with a guy named Hiram Smith. He's passed away, but he was the founder of Franklin Quest, which was at that time, one of the largest productivity management companies in the world. And it was his company that went on to buy Stephen Covey's company. And the company then was called Franklin Covey. And one of the things that Hiram used to talk about is that addiction is a faulty belief window. And mm -hmm. that you need to understand that that at the very um, edge of, of what addiction can be that is negative and potentially life ending, on the other side is another belief window, which can mean that that addiction can also be spirit and business and life ending in sometimes the literal way and sometimes just a spirit way where, you know, that, that if there's too much going on that isn't healthy for the individual, whether it's mindset, you know, health, a relationship or any of those things, it can take us to both of those ends of the spectrum. And, you know, all we have to do is look at the last year and a half and just see where suicide rates have gone and, and see, you know, because of the, the quote global pandemic where people are just giving up and it's been hard. And then we have the real addiction. We have the escape addiction, which again, doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. It can be shopping. It can be sex. It can be, it can be anything. It can be pornography. It can be, I mean, there's addictions that are just life altering that kind of really destroy, um, the individual's self-image, which I think is really where addiction comes from. There's something between where people see themselves and that gap between what, you know, their definition of perfect is, which we know is not attainable or healthy or accomplished or any of that, and they fill the void. And what we know yeah. about addiction is, again, whether it's drugs and alcohol or spending or any of those other things, as soon as the reality sets in that none of that changes how you feel between where you are and where you would like to be. Life is stopped and the addiction continues to grow because that is the best way to insulate yourself from the pain of emerging and, and choosing a new life. Did, did I sum that up? Man, perfectly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cancer, right? It, you start at this I talk a lot about addiction with adaptive peaks. So if you think about a, a topography, right? And you've got this, this hill and you're looking from the hill and you look over here and you're like, oh, but, but Todd's here, I wanna get there. Well, it's not a direct line. Sometimes we have to go down into a valley to reach the next mountaintop. And what addiction does is it keeps us looking up. It keeps us looking and comparing to people that 
may not have their lives as together as we think we do, or they do. And, and we neglect the fact that sometimes we have to go down into this cavernous, deep, dark hole. And most people don't come out of that. A lot of people get stuck here and they're still looking upward. They're still socially comparing. They're still saying, I want to be like that. I want, if I just have this next thing, then I'll be happy. If I just have that next thing, then I'll be happy. And all it's doing meanwhile is digging that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, because we are social creatures, because we look to, to others to see our own value rather than inherently looking inside of ourselves and recognizing our value from within. The first thing that our brains do is see outside oh, well, that person's better than me because they have this or they've achieved that. And that starts this process, this false belief window, as you say, of saying, well, I have to do something. I have to achieve something. I have to become something in order to be worthy. And we turn to drugs, sex, alcohol, whatever it is, whatever the flavor is that that feeds that addiction to help us either numb because we're, we're not where we need to be or what we think will get us to that next level well-defined and well-described. And um, and so I think the the direction that I, I would like to go, there's a couple different directions. And again, these are just everybody listening or watching or both. These are just, these are organic conversations. Uh, you know, I don't follow a script. Uh, my the, the people that I'm interviewing don't follow a script. It's just organic. And I think that's the best way to have conversation. And so contextually, I want to say to everybody that that this is not designed as anything other than to have a conversation with somebody that knows what they're talking about and somebody else that knows what they're talking about. And that would be the two of us because we're in it. We're in it. And at some level you're in it. Everybody is in it at some level, whether it's your own challenges or the challenges uh, as a father or a mother, or even the challenges with codependent business relationships and, and all of that. And um, at some level we need to break free of all of those things because they're anchors. They're anchors that hold us back. And I was thinking about you this morning because I posted something on Instagram that said, chase your fear. And the <laughs> idea, no, the idea that that fear is what starts to enable um, anesthetizing, right? And there's true, there's true anesthesia, anesthesia. There's the alcohol and drug effect anesthesia. There's the short-term anesthesia of buying something and feeling that that gave you a dose of happiness or dopamine or serotonin or oxytocin or all those things, right? All of them. <laughs> then there's the moment of truth where that wears off. And that's where the healing has to take place. Otherwise, everything is going to be external, which doesn't solve anything internal. What say you? Yeah. I mean, sitting with that pain is the hardest step. And, and as you say, you can't skip it. It's the, it's the valley before the peak. Um, I, I love the idea of chasing your fear. One of the things that I've gotten really uh, into recently is um, something that my friends and I used to call that talk is today. Um, it's really, it's, it's slideshow karaoke, if you will. So imagine this, right? Uh, I go out of the room, Todd creates a little slideshow presentation for me. He says, okay, Rebecca, come on in and present like the expert. And I have no idea what's on these slides, but I'm going, oh, okay, this is my slide here. Uh, as you can see, uh, the, uh, the addiction is kind of like a dragon eating an egg. And you can see in this image here, I have no idea what I'm talking about. But becoming that expert, really chasing that fear of as a professional speaker, I should know what I'm talking about. As an addiction person, like, I should know what I'm talking about. I have no idea. But by chasing that fear, by actively pursuing it and going all in and just doing my best, what I feel is I feel what a true imposter actually feels like. 
Now I can begin to separate a fact from a feeling, which is a huge step in overcoming some of our addictions is recognizing, wait, 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 I'm not a loser. I feel like a loser. Okay, I'm not an imposter. This is what a real imposter feels like. I have some knowledge of this. Okay, what's my next step moving forward? So separating that that true fact from just what we're what we're experiencing in that moment, which is often deeply routed in this emotion of fear. So it's it's interesting that I think that when we look at at uh, any challenge that any of us have have had as human, you know, beings that are 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 getting through and, and doing things to 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 get through and and hopefully enjoy and grow through life, there is this delta of. Um, there's a, there's a gap. There's a delta or a gap between your, your your belief about you being worthy and trusting that, and at some level letting go of what the messaging is that says I'm not worthy. And so we we look at that. We look at that truth, and we look at we look at how optically we try to present externally a different who we are, right? And um, and inside we have that fight. And the the gal that I, I talked with recently that that had a, a significant breakthrough and and uh, she she and I were talking and she said, you know, at, at some level you have to almost vacate the body you're in and look at that and start to see all the things that in that state were wrong and celebrate the body that you have gone into and and the gap the delta can be can be a day it can be a week it can be a year it can be a decade and for some people it can never be any of that because they haven't made that tough choice to change and and to cause a you know a behavioral shift we, yeah, we hear I mean, i'm sorry no, my apologies. I, I was just wanting to respond to that because I feel like that's such a powerful statement. And I, I, I'm going to quote Jim quit Jim Carrey here in a, I'm not probably going to butcher the quote here, but, but he said something very profound. Um, you know, Jim Carrey, the hilarious comedian uh, wore the mask, literally the mask, right? The mask you wear. And he said, at some point you have to decide, you have to make a choice between and take the risk between either becoming the person that you truly are and take the risk of being loved or hated for the person that you truly are, or you go to your grave, clean onto that mask, right? And, and that to me is terrifying. That mask can be your addiction. That mask can be you know, smiling when internally you're going, I am so unworthy, I am nothing. It's the gap. And crossing that gap um, is, is terrifying. It's the scariest thing I think anybody has to do. But the reward on the other side is is actually truly living an authentic and and confident life because you can show up as you are. There's no yeah. greater gift. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Um, I love the idea of uh, authentically deciding that you can choose your lane and you can choose what you want. But the behavioral science behind addiction um, is, is very, very deep. And, and I don't pretend for a moment to be an expert. I can tell you I've spent 10 years studying addiction in real life, you know, having a couple of boys that, that have had deep challenges. Uh, I've gone through everything from outpatient to rehab to uh, sober living and, and watching my boys 
kind of learn that whole dance uh, as they experience that. I, I went through being their father and their father will always be their father and trying to really understand separating, you know, the disease from the human spirit. And, you know, addiction, when you think about disease, you look at the prefix dis, dis-ease. In a very real way, addiction exists because people are not at ease with who they are. And dis is a prefix to mean to take away from, to negate. And so when you when you when we characterize things in with the word disease, any disease is a disease. Cancer is a disease. It's it is uncomfortable to get cancer. I, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I'm cancer free, thankfully, but I remember that. Um and and you know, heart condition is a disease, a, a, a fibrillation, a disease. Um any type of a cardio event or anything, they're, they're, they always put us at disease because it's a reality check. What I want to what I want to say, and again, this is so organic. What I want to say is, I, I've learned, I've learned that that addiction heals from the inside out. I've learned that there's nothing I can do to help you decide to break free. And there's nothing you could do if you had a, a different level of life experience to help me break free. There's zero I can do to help my kids break free in terms of the ultimate decision to stop the behavior. And there's nothing that we can do with anybody who doesn't want the change to begin to start to heal those peaks and valleys as, as you talked about, Rebecca. So my friend says that until pain hits 51%, change won't happen. And he's been sober for 27 years and have five DUIs and two times crashed into uh, light poles and is lucky to be alive. And But he said the pain got so great that the only choice was I have to quit, otherwise I'm gonna die. Yeah. The proverbial hitting bottom, what does that mean to you? What have you seen with your stepbrother? What do you, what do you see in the world you know, teaching people how to be fearless and to, to move forward. Yeah, I mean, that 51% is a is a powerful image for me. I'm thinking about that and going, yeah, you know, it, when you start realizing, you know, I, I immediately think about setting boundaries because what what is always true for me is I struggle with saying no to people and it finally took the pain, right? The 51% for me to say, oh, but I'm already saying no. I'm just saying no to myself. I'm saying no to, to myself because I wanna do something else and I'm saying yes to them. So I'm saying no to me. And that was that was the 1% difference. The 1% difference that, that made me say, oh, wait a second, I am valuable. I need to start valuing this. For Johnny, um, you know, my brother, golly, he, he was 24 when he passed and he was uh he'd been in and out of rehab um unfortunately there wasn't a bed for him at the next level he'd made it through the first level and and he was coming back home for the week before um he could go on to the next level of, of rehab and um and in the middle of all of this he was so aware that he had set up a dope without dope a program for kids for for teenagers for people like him who were struggling with addiction he was so aware, but his pain was so great that he was still choosing heroin. He hadn't he hadn't developed his community enough, and unfortunately, that was the it was the one 
you know, one, uh, one dose too many. And um, that was, that was how we lost him. But I, I think so frequently about, you know, if we, if we had been just slightly different, if there had been one more person in his life, if there had been one more, and then I realized, wait, wait, that's not on me. That's not on you. That's not on the facility. There is only one person who is responsible for this. And we can set up communities and we can set up boundaries and we can set up rules all we want. But at the end of the day, we are all responsible for our own choices and we have to want to heal first and foremost. It yeah. is a it is a painful space to be in. But I do think his legacy uh, and the, the thing that I think we all have an opportunity to do is to be vulnerable in it and to share it because, you know, we talk about disease as you talk about, we talk about heart disease, breaking your arm, you know, no problem, but disease, oh, addiction disease. Oh, that's a, we don't talk about it. It's such a stigma. So the more we can create these communities where it's not laden with shame or guilt or, and we can have the conversation, the more we can move towards that 51% to help others tip it in their favor. Yeah. So l let me go a little bit deeper on this. So I think yeah. the, the the text that I got four days ago from a very successful you know business person and uh, um, found out that uh, the day before he texted me that his thirty four four year old son had checked himself into a alcoholic uh, institution and I um, didn't know uh, this guy's sixty years old. His son's thirty four. He didn't know the first thing to do. And I've got. Yeah. Know, 70 people that I talk to regularly that at some level didn't know the first thing to do. And, you know, I think one of the things that that is really hard is to understand. Um, and again, all addiction is addiction, spending addiction, all, but, but at the, the level of life altering, like, like this could kill you. There's only three places people end up that have that challenge. They end up sober and in recovery and working that or they end up in jail or prison, or they end up dead. And, you know, the hardest thing for me as a, as a, a father of two beautiful boys, two beautiful souls, was realizing that each of my boys have that same multiple choice outcome. And there's nothing I can do about it to get them to change. But what I can do is I can create what I call behavioral boundaries that force them to start looking at what really is important. And I think people don't really understand. I used to say, I used to say when I was doing shares that, um, you know, that uh, I get bitch slapped every time I start to talk about boundaries. And the reason I do is because I don't really understand boundaries. And I, I, I admitted to 220 people at an Al-Anon meeting that I suck at setting boundaries and everybody laughed and and all of a sudden it dawned on me that they're laughing because everybody has a hard time with setting boundaries because we think that love is enabling and being okay and not making the hard calls. Like how do you cut um, a 19 year old and a 17 year old off financially because of breaking contracts and continuing the negative behavior and how do you do that as a dad and how do Deb and I do that as as husband and wife how do we actually to two young boys say you're on your own financially and and be okay with it and I remember when we did that it was like John said John said shit just got real yeah. and Matt who had just gotten his real estate license said I better sell a house so we, we had a little humor and we had a little fear but the hardest thing was to watch those two boys figure out how to live 
their own life financially. And part of the stress in the financial decision was if you've got to pay for everything, you're going to be really careful what you spend your money on in terms of drugs and alcohol. But also yeah. it was like, I really want my guys to learn the life skill of financial survival. And today, what, six years later of that boundary being set, they're both financially independent. Uh, that doesn't mean they're wealthy. They're both living their life. My oldest son is sober. My youngest son is not, but he's working on it. And it's like, okay, but I don't, I'm not involved financially to rescue them. And I think a lot of people, we understand codependency. You have to understand enabling and you have to understand um, this idea of, of rescuing. And when you enable and when you rescue, all you're doing is prolonging the health of a new decision. And that's when people die. And you're so, making it comfortable for yourself. Yeah. And so yeah. Boundaries, boundaries are designed to allow anybody who's a, who's a, who has a qualifier, a codependent parent or, or person, boundaries allow you to force the need for the individual to make a choice. And um, I laid down a boundary with both of my boys in November of 2019. And I said, guys, I love you. Um, I love you more than you know. I'm going to be your father forever. I love you so much that the pain of watching you destroy your lives is too much for me. And so I am going to detach with love. And until you have 30 days of sobriety, don't contact me. Don't call me. But as soon as you call me and say, dad, I have 30 days of sobriety, I will invite you to my home. And we will reimagine our, our relationship as father and son, as family. And the hardest thing in the world, I got so much flack. I mean, the text messages I got back, don't contact me. And the first thing is, <clears throat> let me light my dad up and fillet him and tell him what a loser he is and how much he doesn't love me. And I'm sitting here thinking, I call my sponsor and I'm going, what am I going to do? Because you're the one that told me to set the boundary. And I, he goes, it's the hardest thing in the world. It's the hardest thing in the world. 30 days is not a big deal. I told my son six months, don't contact me until you have 180 days. But he said, I started off at 30. And I remember, Rebecca, how, how hard that was. And then today, even though I still every day want my kids to choose recovery, every single day, it's joyful because I'm watching them make different choices. I'm watching my oldest son who's now five months sober and uh, is employed by the Montana Department of Forestry and has reached one of his goals of becoming a firefighter. And even I talk with my youngest son, but I don't get together with him because I'm not wanting to enable that yet, but he has figured out his life and his lane and his artistry and his creativity. But I'm gonna share something right now with everybody here and um, you have to realize that you can't save them. You can't save anybody. Uh, they have to want to save themselves. And four weeks ago, my son called me and he was having, he was vomiting in his car and was short of breath. And uh, I said, just go to urgent care. And uh, 12 hours later, I found out that urgent care sent him to a hospital ER 
And his toxicity was so large from smoking pot that his kidneys were at risk, his lungs were at risk. And the only way to save his life was to stop smoking pot, period. End of story. And I don't know how that is going to ultimately weigh itself out, but I know his spirit today is that was close. <laughs> that was close. You know, if you if you go to ER because your body is shutting down because of toxicity, it is a wake up call. I, yeah. I need to encourage everybody watching this that boundaries actually at some level, at some time, if you honor them and you stay on them, the boundary actually creates the deepest level of respect that the people you're putting the boundary on will ever have for you. And it's like counterintuitive. It's like, I'm going to set this boundary. And the first thing my sons are going to say is my dad doesn't love me. But as soon as they realize that the boundary is saving their life, then they're going to say, I really respect my dad. And I have that in text messages from both boys. And I think that's the issue at hand here. People are afraid. And in their fear, they're actually enabling the people in their life that have addiction to accelerate potentially their death. So I didn't, that's pretty heavy stuff. I'm sharing deeply from my, and, um, but when I, you want, when you want it, when you want people that you love to live, it's not easy in the addiction world. It's hard. I think you, you said something really brilliant and profound there about setting boundaries is setting boundaries is easy. Maintaining them. That is the hardest part. And what you did for your sons was something really difficult and really beautiful because what you did was you set an awareness level for them. I here, Here's where I am. I am aware, you're aware. And then you clearly defined things so that they had an opportunity to make a different decision. And that decision was life and death. And when we realize that the decision becomes life and death and it's clearly defined and everybody's aware, then the boundary is all love. It's all love. And that, man, <laughs> if I, you know, I, I try really hard not to live in the past because I feel like living in the past is depression, living in the future is anxiety inducing, right? Either way. But man, I can't tell you how many times I think about that and say, mm, what if we'd set better boundaries? What if there were better uh, boundaries? Well, and I think the thing that's interesting is, is not even, not even a taking it to necessarily right this second, a, a level of, um, you know, drugs and alcohol and things like that, just even in business. I mean, one thing I would put out there is you may or may not agree with this at face value, but it is amazing to see how many people in business are addicted to drama and are addicted to relationships that are dysfunctional. And, you know, we have, we offer workshops that cost tens of thousands of dollars, you know, per year, if you want to be into this, this big track program, but our, our least expensive seminar is a thousand dollars and our probably our most transformational seminar is $4,000 for four days. And you would not believe how many people pay that amount of money. And within the discovery of like the first three hours, we're talking about relationships that suck and, 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 and the pain that those relationships are causing. So here's an interesting thought for everybody. <clears throat> the, the longer you or I, Rebecca, the longer we tolerate 
what we don't want, the more of it we will actually get. The longer I tolerate my son showing up at a family dinner drunk, the more it'll be okay for him to do that. But the first time he shows up drunk and I tell him to get an Uber and leave the restaurant, he's going to realize that if a, if a business partner is land blasting me and telling me how much, you know, I, 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 I am not delivering or this, that, or the other thing. And I allow that it makes it okay. If I'm a manager and I allow people to interrupt me and to, to be of negative spirit or attitude in my company, um, the more I tolerate that, the more everybody else sees that it's okay. So the, the yeah. idea on, on boundary management is decide what you want in your life. I talked to my friend the other day who had to make a decision between his, his daughter who was an alcoholic and his wife who was not. And he said, I, I had to choose my marriage and I had to be okay that my daughter might die in that decision. But I learned I got to protect my health, my heart, my marriage, and I got to pray for my kids. Those are the four things he said that if, mm-hmm. and now his daughter's 13 years sober and she's a top salesperson and a mother. And it's, so I, I guess I just want to say, I'm, I want to give you guys permission to set boundaries and then don't change them. Because when you, when you set a bound, do not set a boundary. You're not willing to stand behind and go through the pain of keeping that commitment. Do not do that. Because as soon as you don't do what you say you're going to do, the people you've applied the boundary to are going to say, ah, he didn't mean it. She didn't mean it. It's actually okay. I can keep doing this because he keeps allowing me to show up. Yep. And in fact, that actually goes into your the brain like chemistry, the neural circuits that you build. So as you said, the very first time that you're setting the boundary, okay, if you enforce that boundary, good, that neural circuit just got deeper. Right. You just establish a new neural circuit and you do it again. Good. It's deeper. Now it's even more automatic. Now it's even more automatic. But the second that you say, oh, I set this boundary and then it changes or you flex a little bit, that neural circuitry does not get line aligned. And now you're operating from the same story you always were and everybody else knows it. And so there's there's no new story. There's no new behavior. And people recognize, oh, we can just continue to push and you're actually enabling. So, I, you know, enforcing those boundaries, setting them very clearly and then enforcing them is key in uh, in establishing new neural circuits that are going to help not only heal you, but the people around you. So you've just entered a, a reality that um, that a lot of people don't even know is your background, but you are a doctor. <laughs> you are well, a doctor. I'm, not, I'm not the useful kind, but I am a doctor. I'm a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> But I, re- I remember um, I remember at Mastery last year, you know, talking about being fearless and there's nothing about addiction that like is attractive and sexy and, and like, uh, let's just get into this and do it. And um, I will tell you right now that marriages fail around not having uh, a unified approach to addiction management and boundaries. I will tell you that businesses uh, break up and suffer in partnerships. A breakup and suffer and or they stay together in their deepest states of dysfunction and <clears throat> at the end of the day um you you have to realize i have to realize that that if this were easy we wouldn't be afraid of it and there's a there's a real fear that begins to manifest itself that in some level with the addict is very real and very deep and very emotional and then with the codependent or the you know the 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 individual in this case as a father or a business owner ceo the hardest thing is to get past the fear of setting the boundary and you're an expert in fear 
and uh, talk a little bit about how to break through the fear. We've got about seven or eight more minutes, but talk a little bit about breaking through the fear from this vantage point, not from selling or leading or anything like that, but just in the spirit of addiction. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the brain is is a really lazy place. It's a lazy organ. It likes doing things that are simple and easy and grabbing the the sugar or grabbing the television or grabbing the thing that just, just numbs it and it doesn't have to go through the pain, the discomfort, the difficult boundary uh, holding space. And so we really have to work with our brain on this to say, no, 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 you're safe. Thank you, brain. Thank the brain, right, for saying, okay, thank you. I know that's the way you want to go. Appreciate you trying to keep me safe because our brain is all about safety and survival and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. actually what we need to do is go down this hill of discomfort. Uh, you, the craziest thing is talking to yourself, but it is also the most important thing that you can do because your brain is going to take you in a direction that your conscious mind doesn't want to go. And if we can consciously separate out that we are not our brains, we are not our thoughts, our thoughts are things that we can actually observe and influence. We can change the way we think, we can change the way we behave, we can change the way we show up in the world. But first we have to pull back from our thoughts and recognize that our thoughts are almost entirely fear-based. They're like, oh, hey, just, just numb yourself, just stay out of that discomfort, just stay away from that situation. You don't wanna have to hold that boundary, so just, just let it go this time. That's what your brain wants. You are not your brain. Pull back from that. You have full control to actually think consciously differently. And I, I work a lot with visualizations. I'm a huge fan of visualizing because the way this aligns your brain, body, and behavior is incredible. What, what the fascinating thing about your brain is it doesn't know if something has happened in the past, in the present, or in the future. And so your entire nervous system can be aligned by how you visualize something. If you want to break free of an addiction, to break a new habit, break into a new habit, we can start with the smallest visualization of what it will look like tomorrow. Clean, sober, saying no, holding that boundary, whatever it is that you need to do. Really work through smelling it, tasting it. What are you experiencing wow. in that moment? And then wait for time to catch up. Because if your body has already experienced it, right, just visualizing it, then it lowers the barriers that your brain would otherwise throw up and say, oh, well, you can't do that, it's too dangerous. Right? So I really work with a lot of visualization. Do it, do it, do it, practice like you're going to Carnegie Hall. And then when the situation arises, you're able right. to move through it a lot more easily. There's some really cool uh, science with visualization, but I'll, I'll shut up there and let you. Well, no, no, I bet I think that's what yeah. you have to do. Visual, visualization, vision. I mean, the Old Testament scriptures say that that where there is no vision, the people will perish. And at some level to go from where one is to a better way of living <laughs> is a vision, right? Henry David Thoreau said, if man advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and he endeavors to live the life he has imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. Visualization is huge because it pulls you from where you are. Like that valley analogy you used in the peak yeah. analogy, I mean, you got to understand if I'm here and this is the peak, that requires vision. You're going to see it. Mm -hmm. And then you got to experience the climbing of it visually before you ever execute the physicality of climbing. That's why so much, you look at the Olympics, 
I mean, yeah. you get every athlete that is successful and there's a massive commitment to visualization. You can even see them in some of the short exercises, the gymnastics, the high jumps, you know, the shot put, this kind of, they, they, they look at golf, look at the best golfers in the world. They sit there and they, they spend five minutes on a, on a four second putt. Why? They're visualizing everything and energizing around that. And I'm going to tell you right now, where there is no vision, people perish. You, you, you could still be alive. You could still be walking around. But your spirit is perished. Your joy is perished. Your your fulfillment has perished. <sighs> Too many people die. Oh, sorry. No, I'm no, so ahead. sorry. No, I'm so sorry what? about that. I was just saying too many too many people die at 20 and aren't buried till they're 80. And right. that's that's the whole idea behind losing your vision, not not visualizing, right? Is like you you're just wandering around as a zombie because you're you're allowing fear to dictate all of your thoughts, emotions, behaviors. Yeah. When you visualize, you actually have that opportunity. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, no, don't, no, don't Those it. great well, dramatic pauses. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's where I want you to take us home. Um, you've mentioned shame six times. Um, it's a very real issue. Um, when you cover up who you are with addiction, as soon as the addictive mechanism wears off, you're back to shame. And the more that it happens, the more shame you experience. Why is it so important to understand the relationship between shame and progress in life? And what wow. would be your encouragement or your advice? That is such a big question. I don't even know where to begin. I think um, with S. I think, yeah, I think with shame, um, shame, shame doesn't actually help us. We think that we think that we're going to enable a, a different decision because if we shame somebody or if we shame ourselves, we'll do better or we'll make progress because that'll push us in a certain direction. And it actually doesn't. It just buries us deeper um, and and drives the addiction further. So I often think about, you know, shame is is. Um, this thing that you could visualize if you're in that hole of that adaptive peak, if you're in that valley, and we think shame is going to push us in the back and help us lift up. And instead, it actually is this force that is just pulling it's us down. Way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the more I think we can we can recognize that we are not alone in our shame, that shame is a very human experience. To be alive is to be filled with shame. And, and and unfortunately, unless we talk about it, which is the exact opposite of what our brains tell us to do, don't say anything, don't say anything, you're all alone in this. Um, unless we actually are willing to talk about it, we don't, we don't move past shame. So uh, our fear, once again, holds us into that space and doing the exact opposite of that fear is what allows us to move forward. So um, yeah, I think, again, going back to the very place that we started with Connection being the opposite of addiction. When you can have the community, when you can we can speak freely and vulnerably, and the reality is everybody thinks, everybody thinks they're alone in their thoughts. Everybody thinks, nobody does this weird thing that I do. I'm that only, and then you say the weird thing, like I have to count to 10 every time before I, and they're like, oh, you do that, I do that. And we relate to one another that way. When we start to flaunt our weaknesses, we realize, oh, people see me as human. People see me as the vulnerable human being that I am, and they can relate to me more. And that actually pulls us out of shame. So, uh, you know, speak, speak your truth, speak your truth, even as your voice is shaking, because that is, that is how we move, move into that new space. Well, yeah. And, and, um, shame and guilt, um, 
I mean, they're lids to, to progress in life. And, and so, you know, you think about, I, I've been going to Al-Anon meetings for seven years because of my boys and wanting to be the best dad I can be. And, you know, if you look at the 12 steps, the second, the second, after you admit you have a problem, the second step is to understand that there's a power greater than you that can solve this. And that's the ultimate connection. And then you have to look at the people in your life that can stay connected to you. And everybody that has an addictive challenge, if they're trying to recover, has somebody who has recovered that continually coaches them and and helps them understand that that every move forward is a positive move in the equity that reverses shame and and fear and all those kinds of things and um, it begins it all begins with you I mean it begins with you it begins with me and whatever we want in our life it begins with us deciding that this is no longer acceptable this is what is acceptable in our in our 16 hour video series called connect there's a whole section on what is your unacceptable i mean i teach for an hour and 15 minutes on what is your unacceptable and and to orient yourself around that and i just want to say at the at the end of of this podcast from my vantage point um i'm really proud of my boys i'm proud of what my wife and i have done to create a world for them where they understand addiction and where they understand healing and where they understand that their life is their life and they get to, 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 to claim it. I'm also grateful for people like Rebecca that, that help us see the positivity through um, putting that less on fear because you either fear less or you fear more. And the best way to fear less is to take action, positive action, because it starts to remove shame. It gives you that positivity of making wise choices for yourself. And when you look in the mirror, you feel healthy. You feel good about the choices. There's nothing better than feeling about the choices you're making, that they're healthy and they're conducive to a life well lived. So powerful 45 minutes, my dear. Thank you, truly. I, I am always honored to spend time with you. you. I come away always feeling like I got the better end of the deal here. So thank oh. you for your wisdom. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for being a model for everybody out there that is looking for greater success in their life. And I'm, I'm truly grateful. Thank you for that. We're all trying to get through this thing called life, right? And doing it well. How do people get a hold of you? If uh, what's what's your social media coordinates and and what? Can yeah, you want to follow up? Easiest way. Yeah, easiest way to reach out is uh, on social media. I'm just Dr. Rebecca Heiss. That's H E I S S. Um, or you can find me on the website, just RebeccaHeiss.com. And I'll I look forward to connecting with everybody. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks for spending 45 minutes of your life learning, growing, and getting better. It's always a joy to have uh, good friends like Rebecca and and people that know what they're talking about. And I'll, I'll just say at the end of this one that uh, this is a journey, man. And I don't claim to be an expert, but I am in the trenches. I am in the arena, and uh, and I have fought it, and I have led through it. And I can I can help you get to the other side. But at the end of the day, you got to want it. And the people in your life that you love got to want it. There's nothing you can do to make them want it. They've got to want it. So uh, thank you for investing 45 minutes of your life. Rebecca, we'll be in touch soon. And uh, everybody, thanks for watching. And uh, have a good time digesting this one. It's a healthy, healthy conversation. See ya.